two brief things before we start. Episodes like this bring in a lot of new listeners, so please subscribe wherever you're listening, iTunes or in your podcast app for more great episodes like this. Hit subscribe, 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 and Android users. Not only are you going to find out about when your Android app's coming for the G5, but the Juicebox podcast is now available on the Google Play Store, so subscribe there too. All right, let's get to it. Welcome to episode 59 of the Juicebox Podcast. This episode is with the CEO of Dexcom, Kevin Sayer. Kevin is coming on to address directly the customer service issues that his company has been experiencing recently. We also talk about some other topics uh, surrounding Dexcom that I think you'll quite enjoy. This episode was um, not planned ahead of time, so I just recorded it and I'm putting it out now. It's timely information. I don't want to sit on it until you know, there's time in the schedule to put it out. You know, next Tuesday, I already have an episode set up uh, that, you know, can't be moved. So I'm just going to stick this one here at the end of the week. It's like a little bonus for your weekend. Plus, double bonus for you. There's no ads. But you can always go to Amazon and check out my book if you're feeling like, you know, you want to say thank you. Of course, I'm talking about Life is Short, Laundry is Eternal, Confessions of a Stay-at-Home Dad. Big thank you to Kevin and to Dexcom for coming out. I think you're going to agree. Not a lot of companies will say things like, hey, we messed up and here's how we're going to fix it. Uh, so publicly. So I appreciate it. And uh, I bet you do too. Here it comes. How are you today? Pretty well. How are you? I'm good. So I was um, really uh, kind of excited and happy to hear from you guys because usually I reach out to you and I, and I ask if somebody would be willing to come and talk about what's going on. But this time you guys reached out to me. So there you go. Um, I'm excited about what you're going to talk about because it, it may not, and you know, I just jump right in. So we're not going to, there's no big preamble, but um, I went into a private Dexcom Facebook group and I said, Hey, you know, I'm going to be talking to Kevin pretty specifically about customer service stuff. And does anybody have any questions? And they certainly did, but I think you might have answers. Is that right? I hope so. Okay, good. Uh, do you want to start or do you want me to hit you with some questions? Why don't you go ahead and just start hitting me with questions, and I'll answer them, and we'll see where we go. Okay. I don't normally just directly quote, but I think this one gets to the heart of it. Can you please explain the unreasonably long wait times for technical support? (laughs) I'll do the best that I can. Uh, Over the past 15 months, uh, we've, we've more than doubled the size of the number of people in the U.S. who use our system. Wow. So on the one hand, what a wonderful problem to have as a business to double the size of your user uh, installed base. And quite frankly, what a good thing for for the treatment of diabetes, too, because these people and these patients of ours are in a much better place than they were before they had our device. Yeah. On top of that, last fall, we launched our G5 system, which goes straight to the phone, which is the most complicated system that we have ever uh, launched more complicated than we'd anticipated. We thought we had right-sized uh, in, tech, in, in staff in our tech services area uh, to handle a launch and to handle the size of doubling our patient base, but in all candor, we didn't. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and for a couple of reasons. In the past, when somebody called tech services, the questions were all completely about devices under Dexcom's control. We manufactured the receiver, we manufactured the transmitter, we manufactured the sensors. And all the receivers and transmitters are the same because they're all manufactured by Dexcom. 
so we had all the answers. Well, we've now added a consumer device into that mix. Our phone calls for G5 patients are 40% longer than they were for G4 patients in the past. Mm-hmm. And, and no matter how many people you had, we, we just didn't anticipate this. So, you know, how do I pair? Which app do I run? What do you mean I've got three apps running at the same time because I downloaded the XCOM app three times and when there's three of them running, the transmitter doesn't know which one to talk to. Just things of, of that nature made it much more complex. Another thing, and again, this is great for our company and, and a great learning experience for us. When you double the size of the base, and you've been around CGM for a long time. Yeah. In the beginning days, the people who used our system were very, very much early adopters who would sit down and memorize the research guide. And I'm kind of a techie. I got to admit, when I go shopping for a car, for example, I pretty much know more about the car than the guy selling it to me. Right. Because uh, I'm just wired that way. And that's how our initial patient base was with CGM. As we've gotten broader, we're explaining more as well. So we just we, we, we weren't right-sized people-wise, and we didn't understand what was coming. We also needed better tools. Uh, we've made some upgrades. For example, a simple upgrade that everybody would look at and say, well, why didn't you do that earlier? Well, it, it takes a bit of time, but we've got a new phone system that will come in during the month of May to whereby we will be like other uh, organizations. When you call or in the queue, you'll have the option of leaving your number and you won't lose your place in queue. Uh, we didn't have that. We've improved our online store and, and, our, and our webpage. So this isn't really a tech service question, but it'll probably be the next one because people also, from time to time, have had to wait to make their orders. We've made our online store much more user-friendly and easier for patients to come and order and reorder and then track the status of their order and see what's uh, what's missing. We've up- upgraded the, the web page for tech service support, uh, expanded frequently asked questions, a contact me back request. And there's more training available on the Internet now, too. You can even request a live webinar. Oh, so we. Excellent. We we have uh, we have worked very hard to catch up here. So a, a couple of questions then. Sure. You said, and I completely understand what you're saying. With some in the in the beginning, when people are coming for the device, they probably understand it as well as they need to probably before it lands at their door. Do you think that spoiled you, or do you think it tricked you? Uh, a little of both. Mm-hmm. A little bit of both. You know, we're celebrating our 10th anniversary uh, of commercialized product we did in March. And and the reason we have a 10th anniversary, you've been around the business world and the diabetes world. There have been a lot of diabetes companies fall by the wayside who haven't been able to get funded to get their technologies to the end game. We're here because of our patients. So we do rely a lot on them, obviously, to to purchase, but also to educate us and, and to help make us better. And I think we probably... We just need to be better. I think we may have taken some of that for granted. I think we may have been tricked a bit, but I also just think we underestimated. You know, all all phones aren't the same. Everybody's iPhone doesn't work the same. Yeah, that that is definitely an aspect of this. That I was talking to Jake a few weeks ago, Jake Leach, and he and I brought that up with him. That I just don't think that's something the consumer thinks about. That you know that their phone isn't quite the same as the next person's and. And, you know, adding apps to it sometimes create crashes on your phone that don't exist on my phone. And then you're calling a person at customer service and there's no way for them really, like you said, when they, when they were just troubleshooting the receiver and the transmitter, there's a finite amount of questions to ask and you come to a, a conclusion at some point. Yeah. yeah. But 
But we also know that on the phone is where our patients want their information, or at least they want to have that option. And particularly our younger patients, they it's much easier for our teenage patients to carry that phone to school or to look on an Apple Watch than it is to pull a medical device out all the time. And the connectivity offered by the phone, I can't tell you the number of positive stories that we get about the use of the share system. So we know we've done the right thing. We know we've moved where, where our patient base wanted us to move. We just didn't absolutely know everything. I mean, the little intricacies in, in, in phone calls and, and people I've talked to, I talked to one person whose email was set up to, to look for emails every three seconds and pretty much overrode anything that else that happened on their phone. That's interesting. And we fixed, and we fixed that. We, we, it, so just things like that, uh, that, that we learn. And, and so we've learned lots. We're, we're in essence supporting a medical device and a consumer device at the same time. Yeah. You've almost become customer support for people's cell phones because of, because of the direction you're going into because, we, because yeah. if they call, if they call their phone support and say, Hey, my Dexcom app's not working right. That the phone, <laughs> they're just going to send you back to you anyway. So now you we're have to be masters of these two things. Yeah. <laughs> So we've learned, yeah. and, and, and we've trained our people. We have a big bolus of new people that will start here in the next couple of weeks in tech services. We've added to tech services throughout the year, but we have a very large group that's going to start up. We, we have upped their training regime. We're training them on these, at least the common issues for the phones. We, we, we obviously can't train everybody for everything, but, but we're going to try uh, and deal with those, those common Bluetooth uh, communication issues in, in the app, but we've got a big bolus of people that will be starting along with the new phone system going up, some IT enhancement tools. I, I think we're, we're confident you're going to see a very, very big improvement. And if we don't, you know what? I'll come back and tell you guys are we did a lot, we didn't do enough, and we'll work on it again. We're, we're not going to we're not going to leave everybody hanging. We're going to fix this. Yeah, I that's my expectation. Whether I have this podcast or my blog or I don't, that's my, you know, I wouldn't think you would just put your head down and pretend this didn't happen. Um, no, but some and, companies and, do, so. Well, and, and the reason I'm speaking with you is because I just want to make sure people understand that we're, that we're aware, you know, that we're aware this is going on. I, I get emails and occasionally I, I will take a phone call from a patient to, the good news is uh, in that very seldom, in fact, I haven't talked to anybody who doesn't love the device. Uh, what they don't love is waiting on the phones, and we just need to fix that and keep making our ex manufacturing our exquisite technology and getting into the hands of people. So will your new phone system do things like can they re route calls? So, for instance, if I'm calling to replace a, a bad sensor, I don't sit in the same queue as somebody who needs 30 minutes worth of phone support about their cell phone. Is that? Yeah, I, I believe thing. I, I, yeah, it is much more highly structured. It, it's much better than than what we had before. Just being able to get into a queue and hang up and wait for us to call you back is going to save people an inordinate amount of of grief. If it is a very high call time. Which uh, which system do you use for your CSRs? Are you are are you employing people that are working out of their homes from laptops, or do you no. do you have a farm of people on the phone somewhere? No, our, our 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 in house sales people are all here in uh, San Diego. As is our tech support team, the team that is that, that's out in the field. We have a patient care team that is diabetes educators who are really more uh, and 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 we have a number for that. It comes in in your box and in on the user guide as well. 
if a patient would like some specific training on an issue versus tech support for a product, so we differentiate between the two, mm-hmm. some of those people are out in their homes. But our tech support group is here, so we monitor them. We monitor call activity. We monitor the downtime. We monitor the wait time. And, and I'm already getting reports that show the wait time is coming down, but it's not where it needs to be. Yeah, so you are doing like QC stuff on, on the calls that are happening. Yes, we are. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, all right, so I personally feel like that's a very great explanation of, of what's going on. Um, the one thing that you said that didn't uh, jive for my timeline is is that there are some people who are saying that they're being asked now to leave their number for callbacks, but that no one ever calls back. But you're saying that doesn't go into effect until no, May? I can tell you what, what happened in the past. Uh, we were instructed that our phone system had that feature, and it we thought we turned it on and it didn't work. We didn't have that feature. So phone that. And again, I'm, I'm obviously admitting a big mistake. So take it for what it's worth. We had to upgrade the phone system to make that system work the way it was supposed to. Okay. Um, can we talk about a couple other things? Absolutely. Okay. Um, the next biggest thing that people asked about, oddly, it wasn't Android like it usually is. It was about the recall for the receivers. Um, and I'm hearing from more than enough people to make it, make it valuable for me to ask you, uh, ask, ask the question. Some people are saying that their, their receivers fell in the batch that was recalled. They weren't getting alarms. And then the replacements they receive, some have the same issues and some actually exist in the same batch still. And so I, I don't know, I, I guess I'm asking just in general, like, where is that at in the process of the recalls there? There's. More than one person saying to me, I'm tired. I'm, I'm not going to ask anymore. Like, I'm just going to use the one I have that doesn't work because everyone I get doesn't seem to work. But that is, is that just uh, randomness? That that would be random. And let me take a step. Let, let me take a step back and explain what happened with with the speaker and with the speaker issue. And if if you have somebody who said that to you, please contact us. We'll we'll make that right. Okay. Uh, with respect to the speaker issue and, and the recall, let me give you a little history. Uh, we track every tech services call that comes in here. Some of those tech services call rise to the level, level where they are considered formal complaints. And within our quality system, we report our formal complaints to the FDA. Many things that are considered formal complaints, many of our patients would consider that's really a formal complaint. Yeah, it, it, it is. We file that with the agency. Over the past several months, as we'd gone through our complaints, we saw the number of patients who had speaker failures had increased. And after consulting with the FDA, the FDA said, you know what? Uh, and, and we agree, the alerts and alarms are extremely important to patients. Therefore, you need to send a notification out to people to test those speakers, those alerts and those alarms, and make sure that the receivers work. So we did send out that notification, and the FDA came in, inspected what we had done as far as sending out the notification. Our documentation related to this issue felt that we'd complied, uh, and then they left. But after they studied the issue further, and again, uh, okay, uh, that's fine. They determined that the alerts and the alarms are so important in the care of our patients, and they are that this needed to be raised to the level of a class one recall, whereas previously they treated it as a class two recall. What a class one recall means is we just have to be more diligent in reaching out and make sure we have uh, literally 100% notification of the patients and that they get letters uh, and that we take care of this. 
With respect to the quality of the receiver or complaints that patients have, understand we evaluate the quality of our products all the time. And we fix things, little things that we see all the, all the time. We file, and not even fix, I think improve is a better way to describe it. If we see something we can improve that will enhance battery life, that will enhance the display or, or what have you, we file routine improvements with the agency mm-hmm. to make the devices better. And we'll continue to make them better. But uh, this isn't a... The, the numbers of, of speakers that have come in is is not every receiver in the field. It, it's not astronomical. It's it's something that we've managed. And, and, and also understand it can be a three- or four-year-old receiver, and, and, and if the speaker breaks, this is a one-year warranty product. People drop these things all the time. Right. You know, I, I saw a young child the other day who, his mother just said, we love everything but the receiver because we drop it all the time. And, 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 we just, we we're working on making more durable. We talked about three fixes uh, in our earnings call that I can go over with your patients. The first fix is we are going to put a, we have a more robust speaker configuration filed with the agency that we will cut over into our manufacturing procedures with the current receiver uh, as soon as they approve it. The second fix is we have a new receiver coming, uh, and it'll be filed later this year, or hopefully before the end of this quarter, that is that is uh, a much better patient experience. It's got a touch screen. Uh, I think patients will really like that. The third fix that we have coming, uh, or that we're considering, and we'll discuss this with the agency, is we can literally change the software to whereby uh, in the speaker, for example, and this is the type of improvement I'm, I'm talking about, or I was talking about earlier. We could change the software in the receiver to whereby there can be a systematic speaker test that's run automatically. Uh, for example, we could run it every time you plug it in to charge it, your speaker's going to test and give you a noise, and you can make sure that the speaker works. And if it doesn't, you could contact us. We could even run it uh, every 24 hours or, or, or whatever. We're, we're looking at that fix and evaluating it. We'll discuss that with the, with the FDA. So we're looking at three things to make that experience better as well. Yeah, and so that I'm assuming because when you go to the touchscreen receiver and things become less, I guess, mechanical and and even more digital, so there's less to move, less to break, and it's easier to make these incremental improvements that you're talking about because they they would come more as like software updates or firmware updates than they would. Well, there's a lot of firmware and software in that current receiver. Uh, we can do that, like for example, that automatic test I was talking about. If we if we get to that point and and looking at timing of the new receiver and all the other things, if we get to the point that we implement that, that could be implemented on the current receiver and could be a firmware software upgrade that oh, patients could do at home on their computer. We've upgraded software on the current receiver. The 505 algorithm was an upgrade that patients could download online and make their receiver. Uh, work better. So we have procedures for upgrading the current receiver. Would would those upgrade updates become over the air in the on the new receiver? Would you at some point not have to plug into a computer to do them or do you always uh, uh, on the new one to start you we'll plug it in. We do have a chip in there uh, that we could turn on at some point in time. So give us some time. You know when all said and done with respect to the receiver, every time you design a product spec for what a receiver should look like, you know what it turns out to be? Turns out to be a phone, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 we aren't cell phone manufacturers. As in a class three medical device company, 
we have to have traceability and accountability for all of our parts and all of our manufacturing. And, uh, you know, Apple builds a gazillion cell phones, Samsung builds a gazillion cell phones. So those don't today fit in the realm of a class three medical device. We, we will even explore uh, something like that someday. So it, it, it's going to evolve and, and we're going to take care of this. I do appreciate you asking the question though. We take it very seriously. I mean, I devoted uh a large portion of my time on the earnings call to talk about this and our customer service issues in the quarter where we've grown 60%. That really shows you how important it is to us. No, I mean, there's, there's in my memory, there's nothing you guys haven't done that hasn't made me feel like you have an eye on the future and the customer's very important. And, you know, I just think people need to remember all the, the speed bumps that exist and, and, there are speed bumps, yeah. you know. It's one thing to double when you go from 2,000 to 4,000 patients. We, we we disclosed at an investor conference in January that at the end of December, we had 140 to 150,000 total users around the world. So if you back into the math and we say we've doubled our patient base, you can imagine how many people are, have been new to Dexcom over the past 15 months. A lot. You, I, I will tell you that when I talk to you guys on the podcast, um, the podcast already does very well. I do twice as many downloads on your episodes as I do without them. So people really do Thank love you. it. You can tell. I mean, it, it's it's for certain. So wh- when you're with, what's the what's the barrier to taking those hundred and fifty thousand users and making them you know a million? Is it cost or is it insurance coverage? What what, what? you know? I think it's a combination of both. I think insurance coverage definitely needs to be better. Uh, and, and it's good. Private payers pay, but it is always it, it's oftentimes really hard. I mean, I give you a simple example. When we went to Gen Five, you had to purchase two transmitters instead of one because the transmitter's life is three months instead of six. As a company, Dexcom charges the same for the two transmitters as we did for the single transmitter because we didn't feel for our patients and for the insurance company because the battery life was cut down, that they should bear the brunt of that, okay? But when you go to order two transmitters, if the person at the end of your payer doesn't understand that it's okay to get two transmitters because you're not paying anymore, you can end up in days of negotiations with payers. So while they cover us, while our people have done a great job, while our patients have done a great job with advocacy, Still, with only a hundred and some thousand patients in the U.S. using this, we're not a great big item in the insurance database as far as, oh, you, you get that. And, and, and so we need, we need to improve our insurance coverage. We need Medicare approval. Uh, that's why we're working on a non-adjunctive claim uh, with the FDA. We need Medicaid approval for all these kids that are in Medicaid programs now. Uh, on the other hand, it is expensive, uh, and over time, I think cost will come out of the system. We certainly will be committed to that uh, if, as we can make cost improvements. We'll, we'll look at the model, and make, if that makes it way more accessible, we'll look at that uh, and drive costs down. Right now, we still lose money uh, on a gap accounting basis, so it'd be pretty hard for us to take a whole bunch of price out of the model. But as we signed our relationship with Google, for example, and we're into that contract, we're looking at taking electronics cost out of the system. And to the extent we can make it less expensive and attract more patients, we, we monitor those and, and play out those scenarios all the time. Because shrinking the technology and, and 
and moving that stuff forward, it makes it a, a cheaper build. And then that it'll, may- make it, it'll make it less expensive. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Absolutely less expensive. All right. Um, you want to do a couple of rapid fire ones? I'll do anything you want. All right. Um, let's start with them because we always keep them till the end. Usually, the Canadians want to know what's happening. They always want to know what's happening. So they're not getting a G four at all, right? They're waiting for G five with share. For share, they will get, they will get share with G five. Okay. Yes. Is that a this year thing? Uh, yes, it should be. All right, Canadians. Um, the poor Canadians. They ask the same questions over and over again. Uh, Android app for G5. Do you have a time frame for that? Android app will be filed before um, in, in June, early July time frame, and, and we'll hopefully get it out near the end of the year. But okay. we, will, we will get it filed. So you're comfortable you have a product that works. Now you're trying to get it filed through the FDA. We will try it. We will get it filed into the FDA. We're not ready to file it yet, so it hasn't gone through all of its testing, but it will. Okay. Um, some more technical stuff. Uh, do you have any idea why the follow is limited to five followers? Yeah, because when we set up the follow app in the beginning, we wanted to make sure that our server capacity and everything, that we could control it. Mm-hmm. We had never done this before and nobody else had. So we set follow up for five. We'll reevaluate five uh, in the future. That's not set in stone. That was literally as we sat around the table and discussed it. How many people would somebody want to follow them? Because if somebody goes on Facebook and say, everybody follow me and we get 2,000 followers, do we have a problem? And so we we wanted to make sure we had some control over it. Because, again, when you're the first, you've got to... You've got to try and control it as best you can. Right. Because I, um, what I'm hearing is if, if you said unlimited followers, that could either tax your server, it could stop the app from working correctly, and you have no way of knowing that. I, I, I don't know. And, and how would we test follow for 20,000 people? Right. If right. somebody went on. So we, we decided to proceed as the first step. We proceeded five, and we looked at that and said, okay, if you're a child, two parents, a sibling or two, and maybe a caregiver, teacher, get, five but let's start with five and see where we go there wasn't science or magic to that there they may have been more magic to that from a server and technical perspective but i know those were the high level discussions that i participated in we needed to limit it to make sure that our servers can handle it one person brought something up that i thought was super interesting about this she said i think it was a she i wish i had the name and i don't i'm sorry but she said like what would be great is if you could put timers on like day time, day timers on them like for instance I only need my school nurse to see it from 8 to 3. So if her share her follow was active from there but it wouldn't work otherwise, you know, and then well, there's you know, and that kind of thing. Some people I only needed to see overnight like that. I thought, I don't that, know if that's possible, but it sounded interesting. Well, that could be a wonderful feature and that's something I'll take back to the team. So whoever asked that, that is a great idea. I will I will take that back to our people. Okay, so here's one that seems random, and I thought it was when the person put it down until a bunch of people came in and agreed with it. I think they'd like you to stop asking how much they weigh when they call in. <laughs> and and so now that we're talking about that, why does that happen? I, I honestly <laughs> can't give you an answer to that. Well, uh, well, if you're looking to make friends and you can do it, I'd stop asking people if I was sure. And, and, and it may be part of the medical, uh, it may be part of the medical and HIPAA records that we have to get. I, I don't know. Yeah, it, when I call Edge Park, um, for uh, it's where the third party company I have to use to get my daughter's um, supplies. Um, they ask me every time I call how many times a day does my daughter test, and if I have to call them three times in a day, they still ask me every time. 
and I admit it, it, it weighs, after a while, I just start randomly making up numbers. But, um, but I, I, that was just very interesting. I didn't even know that happened, actually. I don't think I've called your customer service in quite some time. So I guess that's a good thing. I guess that's a good thing, or we'd be having a different discussion <laughs> if your wait time had been too long. I, you know what? I, I can follow up and ask. I, I, I don't know why that's. It's a very random question. I just and I probably, to be perfectly honest, because it's not the, in the scope of what we were talking about, I probably would have skipped over it had not so many people come in and kind of liked it and said, "Yeah, I wish that didn't happen too." So it could be, and actually, I, I can give you a reason, but it's very theoretical. One of our initiatives here over time is big data analytics. Uh, I, we have started hiring a data analytic team who has experience. Uh, Yahoo, Google, places like that who are used to analyzing big data because one of the things that we see as a long-term benefit that we can provide our patients is if we can start predicting things. Uh, you know, we're getting that stream of data with patients using G5. We're getting that stream all the time now. What could we take from an, an de-identified data pool and, and predict? And possibly weight might be a factor if everybody between... 100 and 125 pounds goes hypo in the middle of the night. Are you more likely to go hypo? I, it, it, that could be one of the reasons. I that's the best answer I could give you. Either that, or that's a HIPAA requirement for us. Yeah, I, either of those makes sense. Um, I did not have a chance to listen to your your earnings call, but is there forward kind of looking things that you're able to talk about that might be news for people? Sure, I'm I'm happy to talk about that. First of all, we had a, a an amazing quarter. Our revenues are up 60% in the first quarter over where they were a year ago. G5 adoption is, is, has been extremely good. In spite of all the other issues that, 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 you know, that, that we're talking about, it really shows the underlying value of the technology and how important it is in people's lives. We gave some updates on our future uh, products. One thing that, that, that was of very great interest to our investors and, and really to us. Right now, our product is labeled that you're supposed to take a confirmatory finger stick before you make a treatment decision. And after many, many months of discussion with the FDA, we are looking at, at, at getting a label on the sensor now to whereby you can, uh, well, the system in general, whereby you can make treatment decisions from the arrow, the alert, the alarm, the trends, and the number on the CGM versus having to confirm the information with a finger stick. Mm -hmm. The FDA takes that so seriously uh, that we're going to have a panel meeting on this, an advisory panel meeting, in, uh, on July 21st uh, back in Maryland. So we will uh, present the case and then have an open discussion about it. So we're looking to get our device labeled for, labeled for treatment decisions, which we think is a big deal. And would that be existing devices or, or new things? You know, we're doing it with the G5 technology and, and the current algorithm and sensor that we run in the system. Uh, and then going forward, we would certainly want our future devices to meet that same standard. I, I would tell you that, and uh, you know, we have the G5 and I make most of our decisions based off. Of, I test when, and I've said this before and it seems random, but I guess if, if you use the system, it might not seem. I trust the DEX except for the moments when I don't. And there's, and there's, it's a feeling you get like based on what's happened in the past. And it, once you're with it long enough, for me, I realize this isn't anything you could catalog or write down or, or, you know, get through the FDA or anything. But there's a moment when I go, I would want to test here. 
And I have to tell you, I'm right most of the time. You're usually right. And, yeah. and you know, it's funny that you say that. Uh, and I don't disagree with, with your comment. I've heard that from users. And one of the reasons we calibrate the system a couple times a day is so if you're feeling something a little different and, and the phone or receiver has a different number, our algorithm provides for a correction uh, if you enter a calibration. Mm-hmm. I was with a, a person the other night new to CGM. And, and, and the, you know, this person never worn it before. And he said, the first thing that happened is when I went to calibrate, I stuck my finger the first time and it said 98. He said, I stuck my finger for the second finger prick and it said 142. And he said, I had no concept that I could stick my finger two times in a row and get differences that great. He said, now that I've worn this thing for a month, he goes, I, I do my calibrations and stuff. He goes, but I trust this every bit as much as I trust my finger sticks based on the experiences I've had yep. with the finger sticks. And so, I, you know, I think a finger stick can always be a safety measure. But as we improve the system over time, we know the data from a CGM is, is better than a single point in time reference. Having the, the arrows and the trends and, and the alarms, if in fact you made a mistake, is what makes this a much safer, much better experience for patients. That's why y'all, that's why everybody uses it. I would say that my ability to take care of my daughter took in a significant leap when I stopped thinking of the finger stick as gospel. Like, like there, when I stopped worrying, is she really 120? You know, when I started realizing it doesn't matter if she's 120 or 140 or if she's 90, I just need to keep her stable and, and as low as I can where she feels good and isn't in danger of dropping. When I stopped really thinking about those numbers as being such a concrete thing, because they did seem so random, like you were talking about, yeah. um, it really did. It went a, a really long way. But I, you know, I would say this, and if you want to take this to your advisory committee, my daughter's going up on three years now between five nine and six two on her on her A one C. Wow, and that's fantastic. Yeah, and Kevin, it's the it's the CGM. I, I wasn't very good at it without the Dexcom, to be honest. So. Uh, How old is your daughter now? She's going to be 12 this summer. Going to be 12. Yeah. So, um, but that's that, after the teenage years. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm waiting to see. I, I did learn, uh, you know, she's, she grew a little bit in the last six months at, all at once. And diabetes kind of came at me pretty hard. And, and what I did was I just sort of went hard back at it. And, you know, when I got to the endo and I started telling her about overnight, you know, growth and these high blood sugars that were happening. And I said, oh, you know, her blood sugar, her A1C is going to go way up. I'm sure of it. And it didn't. It actually went down a little bit. It went from six two to six, because as it got, as the diabetes was being aggressive with me, I just was able to because of the Dexcom. And this is not just because you're on here. I've said this in other places. Because of the Dexcom, I was able to be aggressive back, and and that was a benefit that you're never going to see in a book. You, you, you know, when when a blood sugar is jumping up, and you have the ability to really come back at it hard with insulin, because you know if you should overdose. At least you're going to get a heads up before it becomes an issue. When you have that freedom, then you can really stave off a lot of these these unexpected like spikes and highs and stuff like that. So it's been a huge help to me, honestly. Well, thank you. Oh, thank you. I love hearing stories like that. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, okay, so all right. So when I talked to Jake a few weeks ago, um, the most exciting stuff I think he spoke about to me was, I mean, the way it hit me, the stuff that I really loved was hearing about the one button insertion, um, oh, that unit, that was one I, of them. 
I've become a sensor snob now. I uh, I only wear the one button push <laughs> when I when, when I'm in studies and I have a pers- or when I'm at, when we're evaluating product. The one button push insertion is remarkable, and we are evaluating our our clinical study data on that and preparing a submission. Yeah, the, it, it, and it is very exciting. It is a thinner profile. It's much smaller than the current G5. It, it, the transmitter went through a similar evolution as we did with G4. We first launched G4, then we slimmed it down. For the new insertion device, the transmitter is much thinner. The 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 one button push, honest to goodness, you just you don't feel it. Uh, and the user experience in in our studies, the the wow factor has just been it, it's enormous. I mean, no one ever sees a needle. With it, it, it literally is peel the tape, put it on your body, push the button, throw the applicator away, and, and be done. And it, it, it will make it much, much easier for patients. I, we've, we've talked to a number of people who very uh, readily order CGM and get ready to go on therapy and then look at our insertion device and go, I, I, I'm scared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this, this eliminates those fears. It is a remarkable patient experience. I will, I, I will tell you from a complexity factor, as to how we do business, it's the most complex thing we've done. Because every mold that makes every insertion device and, and every manufacturing process that we have changes for this. And and again, I'll go back to our growth. If we'd implemented this when we had 2,500 patients, we might be able to go really fast. Implementing it with several hundred thousand is going to be much more of a challenge. So Given what we've just learned with our G5 launch and our tech support calls that I started talking with you about earlier, we're going to be very deliberate and and take from our lessons we learned in the last launch and make sure we do this one right. But patients are going to love this. I can tell you flat out because it's the anxiety. I think, like for my daughter at least, like yeah, once you put the once you put the applicator on, now there's this very kind of archaic looking thing hanging off of you and then something hanging on your body yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it really is i think that most of, of of anything that my daughter feels when it's happening i think is it seems to me it's it's 80 90 of it just the anxiety of watching it happen and everything like that even after all these years honestly um, i agree yeah so that's exciting so the the form factor of the transmitter changed because of how the inserter works and then you said you had did you have to go back and retool your 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 molds because the specifications the tolerances became smaller. It's completely different. It doesn't look a thing like this. We have to retool all our molds because everything. There's nothing the same. The assembly process for it isn't the same. The inner workings of it are not the same. The only thing that's the same is the sensor and and the needle that the sensor resides in as as it is inserted into your body. And and just to give you one one of my favorite data points that Jake has shared with me. The needle is in your skin the same amount of time as it takes a hummingbird to flap its wings once. So that's that's a big change. So you're looking at this as kind of a package thing that's coming forward, which is the one button insert, the new transmitter, and the touchscreen receiver. Are they all sort of in the same? Are they in the same filing? They're 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 in separate filings, and then we have to make decisions as to when we launch How each. You roll them. Uh, a lot of our things are broken down. Uh, on separate paths, and then we look at the commercial path and go, what makes the most sense uh, as far as as getting things on the market for our manufacturing and and commercial plans as well. And so I, I don't have launch dates for either. 
the G, the new G5 transmitter with the the smaller transmitter. That's is that exactly what the G6 will be sized like, or will that be different? To start, to start, to start it will. Uh, we, you know, smaller is better. Uh, when I go to to diabetes meetings and see kids, they love our device, and I see many of them lift up to their shirt and say, "Look, uh, I've got this." And I look at it. And my first thought is that it's just too big on a six year old. And and so I drive these guys. They will tell you one of my big drivers is shrink this thing. And so the G6 initially uh, will be in, in, in that package, but we have plans to shrink it after that. Uh, we have our relationship with Google. Again, I talked about earlier from a cost perspective, but our ultimate goal is to make a transmitter that's the size of a nickel that sits on your skin like a Band-Aid that you throw away. And, and and when you think about that, as far as changing the dynamic it is for patients, you can imagine what an impact that would have. A uh, patient, you, you'd never see it. Uh, no, I, and, it would be huge. And it would just, it, in clothing, like, I, I realized this morning, my we changed my daughter's Omnipod before she left for school, and she was wearing, like, tighter pants, and I realized that she had it on her leg, and it was pretty compressed on her, and it was because of the height. Yeah, it's because of the height. Right. And, and and the reason that the G5 is higher than the G4 was is we needed room for the battery and the Bluetooth radio to make sure that it worked. And those are the type of compromises the engineers, I mean, not that it worked, but to make sure we got enough battery life in the transmitter to have it last for three months. It, right. It always works. The battery, for example, in the G5 transmitter is what takes up the most uh, amount of size to the extent we can use lower power with these things and, and change configurations, which what we've done with the next generation transmitter and the applicator, we'll still get three months, but they figured out how to do it better. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, it's a continual evolution. And our, our Google partnership will enable us to shrink this stuff even more because they have access to technologies that, that we haven't had in the past. It, it, it's going to be great for patients and for our business. And, and so it would, it, even though I talked about it with Jake, I wanted to talk this about uh, this the subject to this um, about the adhesive. So I brought up the adhesive because everyone brings it up all the time. And Jake talks. As do I? What's that? As do I. As do you. And 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 Jake brought up some very specific things that I got really excited about, which is the idea of that there may be different adhesives going forward that you can order, like almost like saying I need like a sensitive skin, or I need this, or I need more hold, or. Is that is that really is that something that you guys are currently actively looking at? Well, I can tell you that much to my wife's dismay on our last vacation, I wore three pieces of tape on my left arm to just see what my tape experience would be with three prototype tapes they were considering. One was extremely sticky, one was a little more sticky than the current one, one was the current one. Didn't have sensors attached to them, but just to look at the tape. We are considering making and, and three is a good number, uh, a regular one, possibly a hypoallergenic one, and then one that's really, really sticky. I will tell you, though, the problem with a really, really sticky tape, and they've given me some extremely sticky samples that wouldn't ever come off your skin. You almost have to peel them off with a knife. And I, I, I don't know that that is a, a worse experience uh, than, than what we have already. We are evaluating a bunch of tapes, and, and, and certainly... We'll put new tape into future products. There's no question. So it's possible. I, I think moving to three tape solutions is probably a very good one. And, and so that's exciting, I think, for you. So people are having rash issues. At some point, would they be able to 
indicate to you that I would rather have the hypoallergenic. I realize that's, that's, yeah. that's our hope. Yeah, that'd be but great. if the hypoallergenic falls off in three days, then then that's not a good answer either. And I, I I'm hopeful we can can get. And I think three is kind of the magic number. And Jake and I have talked about that. Three is kind of a magic number. If we could offer those three options, that would be a, a very good step in the right direction. And still manageable from a supply situation too. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, but at the same point, you were Matt. You envision a time in the future where this this sensor is so small that I guess the tape becomes not as much of an issue anymore. It should not become as much of an issue. That is correct. All right, sure so let's we just what we really need is a time machine, Kevin. That's the that's the problem. <laughs> we we just, need a time machine. There's no question. We're working on all the right stuff, and 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 we eventually get it there. Being a class three medical device uh, with the FDA here in the states, and we follow the the CE mark regulations as well. This it just takes a lot of time. It really does. Uh, let me ask you this: Based on your, you know, what you see in the industry, do you feel like in the nearer future, the 2018 sort of moving forward, do you think most insulin pump companies are going to have some sort of a, an artificial pancreas algorithm that they'll be offering? Is that how everyone's moving? Uh, all the, you know, we certainly work with a number of pump companies. They are all working towards that end, uh, and and I believe that's a better solution for patients who choose to use the pump. But I don't think treatment, better intensive treatment is going to be limited there. Uh, for example, I, we're aware of several commercial Bluetooth insulin pens that will be out in the next two to five years to whereby with our software, and we are going to file an app with the agency before the end of the year that would be capable of just on our app receiving Bluetooth data from any pump or a Bluetooth pen to give patients the ability to see that on a phone app as well. You know, the algorithms that drive artificial pancreases can also be used to, to help a patient who's not on a pump manage their condition as well. I think what you're gonna see is a number of device and software and analytic solutions over the next five years that will make this much, much better for patients. The common thread in all of it is the information provided by a CGM. And, and, and then how you deliver your insulin is gonna be your choice. And if, you, and if you choose an artificial pancreas with, with an algorithm or, or an artificial pancreas-like device with an algorithm to help regulate your insulin, that is great. If you choose a pump that doesn't have that type of software just to deliver insulin, there will be software support that will help you make that better if you want to do that on your own as well. And so, and, and, and so it's, and I'm sorry, but and so instead of it telling the pump to make the decisions, it will give you visual feedback on a screen that tells you based on this much insulin and what the Dexol is doing, here are some changes you could make to get better outcomes. We see that coming. Yes. Wow. That's we're, great. We're working on programs like that. That's amazing. Jeez. You guys are. We're busy. Honestly. We're very, very busy. And, 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 and I'll tell you, and I'm going to go to the example you quoted to me earlier, because I look, I love these insulin uh, delivering these pumps that, that, that use sensor data. We, we work very hard and support our partners. But the growth spurt your daughter went to, mm-hmm. that's pretty tough to put in an algorithm. <laughs> and so patients are always going to have to have some form of judgment in this in, in this matter. I, it's going to be fascinating to see where it all ends up. But I think the world of diabetes treatment in five years is going to make more advances than it has in all the years before. I, all based on, and I think really, CGM data is going to be the driver. 
Yeah, and then the faster acting insulin, I guess, also. And that could be wonderful as well. Yeah, it could oh, really yeah. be a big part of it too. All right, um, am I missing anything here, Kevin? Did I uh, did I forget to ask anything? Is there anything that happened in the conference call in your call you that know, I didn't? The, the only other update we did give is is our Gen Six sensor. Our next sensor is about to. Uh, we've got our ID submitted to the FDA, and that will be approved shortly. We'll start that trial. Uh, here in the end of Q2, early Q3, that sensor is a one calibration a day system. So instead of two a day, it's one, a very advanced algorithm, uh, predictive glucose alert, in addition to the set alert and alarms, all the same share features and, and connectivity features we have with the current system. It will be extremely good for patients, and it is a very stable, very accurate sensor, consistent with what we've always done in the past. Great stuff coming from Dexcom. And, and, and again, thanks for taking the time to let me uh, address some of your, your people's questions. Uh, we're, we're here. No, I appreciate it. I really do. And, and let me ask you a follow-up question about the G6. So predictive data, is that something we'll see on the consumer side? Well, the, and it's just an alert feature. And again, this hasn't been through study yet, but we, we looked at the sensor. Couldn't, can we predict when somebody's going to hit the low versus them just hitting the low, and it'll be another alarm feature that that we'll add. Predictive data for G predictive data is a different thing, and I don't think it, it is going to be tied to G six or G five or anything. We just have to start getting all the data to the cloud. You know, in the past, our only source of data for our patients were those who had plugged them into the computer, gone through our server, and called us. Now with G five, we're getting millions of data points literally every day. Uh, with all the G5 users, there there can be trends and patterns that we will look at with our analytics team and see if maybe there are predictive algorithms above and beyond what's specific to a patient, if there's big population things. I, I, you know, one example, you, you could run an analytic, how many people had lows last night and how long before the low did it start and maybe things like that. Uh, and these are things we've never explored in diabetes before. So we're, we're, we're really looking forward to this. Well, that's, that is wonderful for the long term. And I have to say, I'm pretty sure I signed an NDA, so I'm not specifically allowed to talk about it. But I do know that you're working really hard on um, the user experience on the app side and stuff like that, too. And that there's oh, yeah, a we lot are. of great adjustments coming to that stuff. So I'm excited just based on what I heard when, when my feedback was being taken from me. I'm, I'm genuinely happy to hear. I mean, you guys are working on all fronts. So I'm excited for when it gets out, though. All right. Yep. Well, Thanks Kevin, for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Once or twice during this conversation, I referred to my interview with Jake Leach. Jake is the Senior Vice President of Research and Development at Dexcom. That's episode 55 of the podcast. If you haven't heard it, it's great. Lots of details about lots of stuff coming, even some of the stuff we talked about here a little deeper. If you're enjoying the podcast, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and a review. I really appreciate that. It helps the show be... Um, higher rated. It makes it more visible. More people can find it. And that's pretty much it. Except to say thanks very much to Kevin Sayer for coming on. Keep an ear out over the next couple of episodes for news about a big giveaway that I think you're going to love. I'll see you soon.